podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. With all of the savings I get when I drive, I'm having the time of my life. Driving safe all right, insurance, save me so much in my car. Driving safe all right, insurance, I've dreamed of saving for so long, I'm saving big all right. Safe drivers save up to 20% with insurance. Get a quote at AAA.com slash insurance. Hello and welcome to part one of two, although we're not sure when the next one will be, of a Foot Weekly special. This week, I'm joined by Dr. David Zendel, lecturer in computer science at York St. John University. David just authored a paper titled Adolescence and Loot Boxes, Links with Problem Gambling and Motivations for Purchase. He's going to be explaining his paper and why it's become a particularly hot topic, plus why it could cause other countries to follow Belgium's lead, where EA have stopped selling FIFA points altogether. I'm your pollen allergy suffering host, Ben, and you'll hear all that and more on this week's slightly more nasal Foot Weekly podcast brought to you by Foothead and our patrons. As I mentioned, I'm joined by Dr. David Zendel. Pleasure to have you on the pod. Oh, thank you. It's it's nice to be here. Great to have you. So you, along with two others, authored the paper Adolescence and Loot Boxes, Links with Problem Gambling and Motivations for Purchase. Now, this paper is relevant to FIFA because of the loot box aspect. EA were quite keen to distance themselves from that term, calling packs surprise mechanics in a recent grilling from a UK committee. But in your definition, presumably they are loot boxes. And what is your definition of loot boxes? And I guess listeners can uh, decide themselves. So um, one of the really interesting things about loot boxes is like loads of people are like, oh, it's a pack of cards. Is it a loot box? Oh, it's something that's not literally a box. Does that count as a loot box as well? And it's something that was kind of like there was a lot of confusion in sort of academic papers about about what was and wasn't a loot box. And that that confusion kind of sort of was spilling over to regulators. So about a year ago, we wrote a paper. and We were basically like, this is what we're defining a loot box as. And if you look at what the government's doing in the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, uh, they use our definition. So for all intents and purposes, uh, like certainly in the UK, maybe in other territories as well, this is what a loot box is. So loot boxes are items in video games that can be paid for with real world money, but contain randomized contents um, whose value is uncertain at the point of purchase. Right, so it's it doesn't make any reference to like the physical properties of the thing you're buying or what the thing you're buying looks like. It's all to do with the randomization. It's you're paying money now. Do you know what you're getting with your money? And if you if you don't know what you're buying, uh, then that falls under our definition of loot boxes. When the Australians were like the Australians did like a big so there are particular gambling problems in Australia. The Australian sort of gambling problem scene is is very unique due to uh, strange and unique sort of political things to do with with electronic gambling machines called, called that they call pokies. So the Australian government's uh, sort of always very concerned about gambling-related things. They had this big loot box inquiry about a year ago, but they didn't call them loot boxes. They called them chance-based microtransactions, which I think captures it just as well. You know, you're, you're spending some cash, but you don't know what you're getting. And I suppose um, people might now be thinking, well... In FIFA, you don't have to use real-world currency to purchase right. those packs. Does that mean they're not loot boxes? 
No, it, so like I think that's a really interesting point. It's a point we actually got from like reviewers when we so we submitted our first paper. It's a while back, but we we're like loot boxes are things that you pay money for, and they were like, yeah, but but a lot of the time you have unpaid openings, right? Like so we're not just talking about foot where you have uh, unpaid openings you get them in like overwatch mm. as well so that is why in our in our in our definition of loot boxes we're very we're very careful to say that items and video games that can be paid for in world real world money so right. it's the option to pay for them with real world money yeah and we're talking to you at a particularly pertinent time actually because the deputy leader of the opposition here in the uk who's also the shadow secretary for culture media and sport which means that although he's not in government at the moment, he's kind of the next best thing. If the opposition won election, he would then be uh, in charge of that stuff. So he's quite important. His name's Tom Watson. And on the day of recording, he actually tweeted out a link to an article. He mentioned his concerns around loot boxes. But what he was referencing was actually a BBC article uh, where four kids had spent £550 out of their parents' money on FIFA 19 packs, Although you've got to wonder in this circumstance whether it's more about microtransactions than loot boxes as such. But it's quite interesting that he's used that in order to push a loot box-based narrative almost. Uh, so I'm, a, I'm an enormous fan of Tom Watson. I just think he's great. It's unusual to find a politician that's also like an actual gamer uh, who, who, who really plays games and really knows games. Uh, but you've got one in Tom Watson. Like, if you do a Google search him, you'll weirdly find like articles he's written for like newspapers where he's like here's my top 10 games of the year i love destiny this year and here's a, here's a really long review of destiny so it's really nice to find that something that that's sort of important to my life certainly is mirrored in the interest of a politician because then they can actually talk about it credibly and 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 because he knows about games he's known about like loot boxes for a while and he's been concerned about loot boxes for a while he does loads of stuff to do with gambling so he's really really into gambling reform and and he also plays games, which means that he's got like sort of this strong interest in loot boxes. And so I think the fact that you're right, the, the story today on FIFA, it was like some kids spend 500 quid. And, and really that would normally be a story about like family fraud, access to microtransactions. But the thing that many people, including Tom, picked up on was that like they were spending it on loot boxes. And it was an opportunity to, I think, raise the awareness of loot box amongst everyone and and so he sort of took that um, yeah it does show that he's very much interested in loot boxes from that perspective right which is right interesting in itself he's obviously wanting to bring that to the fore and actually now it makes sense to bring your paper into this and for you to maybe give us a potted summary of what you found that loot boxes and problem gambling are linked before i came on here I was like, oh, sorry, I got this meeting. I'm gonna have, uh, you know, I'm gonna have to delay the re the meeting. Was with one of Tom Watson's advisors. So like, <laughs> so like, what what you're saying is in fact just entirely accurate. But no kidding, they they really do want to hear from from people who play the games. I think they're sick of the idea that some people might swoop in and legislate. You don't want a bunch of people who have no idea what the game's like coming in and coming up with a bunch of laws to do with them without really consulting with the community about what their concerns are. But moving on to the paper, I have done a number of papers um, on like links between loot boxes mm. and problem gambling. Actually, and, and Oh, actually, David, could you quickly define problem gambling? Because I think people will be more aware of loot boxes, but perhaps less aware of that if they're not too knowledgeable yes. about gambling. 
so I spent so much time with, with gambling legislators and policymakers and researchers that you're just like, yes, obviously, problem gambling. Problem gambling is probably the most well-known form of gambling-related harm. It is a pattern of excessive and disordered engagement in gambling activities that is typically outside the voluntary control of the gambler and that is so severe that it causes really significant problems for both uh, the person doing the gambling and for people around them. It's um, sort of like uh, when you're screening for problem gambling, you ask questions like, have you stolen something in the past year in order to you know, gamble more? Have you had arguments with people around you uh, about your gambling? Um, and problem gambling is uh, linked to like all sorts of really terrible things, bankruptcy, financial distress, uh, mental health problems like depression and anxiety. And it's also strongly linked to suicide. It's, um, it's, it's, and that's a real link. Problem gambling is, is awful. It's, it's really, really awful. So when loot boxes came along, people started to get really worried because problem gambling is, is just terrible. And there's this mechanism in the, in the literature on gambling that sort of, um, it's to do with, um, a reinforcement effect. Um, where you you go out and you gamble and you gamble and you gamble and the gambling, uh, the use of the gambling technology reinforces cognitive biases and sort of changes the way that you think in ways that are likely to make you gamble more in the future. People draw strong analogies between the way that this gambling works and the way like a substance use disorder might work, where you sort of use a substance once and that compels you to use a substance again, and that compels you to use a substance again, and, and you're using and using and using, and in this case, you're gambling and gambling and gambling until eventually your sort of spiral could lead you anywhere. And people were, like, really, really worried that these kinds of rehearsal mechanisms might happen in games with loot boxes because of, like, similarities that they have with gambling. So the idea here is you buy a loot box and it shares all these similarities with gambling and you buy another loot box and you buy another loot box and then you go out into the real world and you see a slot machine and on some level the similarities that that slot machine shares with the the loot box and you can get very formal and talk about things like variable ratio reinforcement schedules uh, but on some level the similarities between the slot machine and the loot box uh, makes you more likely to go and play on the slot machine itself thereby leading you down the path to uh, problem gambling and financial distress and all the awful things uh, and people were just really terrified that that was uh, something that could happen and so it was it was about it was a couple of years back i came to this research and i come from a, a scientific sort of philosophy so the way the way i think about science is you can never prove that a scientific theory is true you can never validate a scientific theory you can never say, yep, yeah, that is that is ironclad. That's definitely, definitely a fact now. All you can do is break scientific theories. All you can do is falsify them and show that they don't work. And the way I work, you try and build knowledge by trying to break old theories. And if you can break a theory, then um, you know that's not the right one and you can propose an alternative one. So so you, you spend your whole life trying to find sort of good approximations for what the world's like and breaking bad approximations. And I thought, if this is a bad approximation for the, what the world's like, if it's if it's the case that this isn't true, if it's not the case that you know this gateway exists, then there should be no correlation between loot box spending and problem gambling. 
if you measure those things, if you measure how much people are spending on loot boxes and you measure like the severity of their problem gambling and you get absolutely nothing, if you get nothing going on there, then that is a great way to break that theory. That just totally breaks the theory that loot box spending causes problem gambling because there's no link. So I went out and I tried to test that link. Um, like I started out with like a big old Reddit survey. I had like 7,500 people on Reddit. I got a link. I got a really big link. The more people were spending on loot boxes, the worse their problem gambling was. And I thought, oh, um, that's okay. That doesn't falsify that. That hasn't broken that. But on the other hand, I'm not really sure how much credence we can place on this because it's like it's a large sample, but it's a large sample of Redditors. They're hyper passionate about the game. They're hyper involved mm. in the game. They in no way generalize to a normal uh, gamer at all. So I was like, okay, so we got this amongst Redditors, but will we get it anywhere else? Or is this just something you only find on Reddit? So I've run it in a bunch of places now. Like, like really, like, like it's not just me. After we, after we got this effect, other people um, started sort of replicating it across the world and extending it. And like, you go look for it in any group of gamers and it seems like the more money they're spending on loot boxes, the worse their problem gambling is. And you could say, okay, that's evidence for, for like this gateway hypothesis. And that's true. You could use it to evidence the gateway hypothesis. But I think there's another equally, maybe more compelling. It's hard to know which one's more compelling explanation for it. So the more you spend on loot boxes, the worse your problem gambling is. That might be because the spending on the loot boxes causes the problem gambling. It might be the other way around. It's a correlation. So so we can't do something called like the directionality of causation where we say A causes B. It might yeah, also be so the- basically what you're saying is we can't say loot boxes causes problem gambling and we can't say that problem gambling causes high spending on loot boxes so but i guess what the concern is right is that gambling at least in the uk is very strictly controlled or at least it should be um so that you can't gamble under the age of 18 right whereas loot boxes are not restricted and your study is on adolescence yeah exactly and and the big concern with adolescence is that you get a a bunch of uh, people who's nobody really knows why. So people say, oh, it's due to a lack of development in certain parts of the brain, or it's to do with the social stage they're at, or it's to do with any number of factors. But for some reason, adolescents are particularly susceptible to developing problem gambling. It could just happen. And and if you gamble in adolescence. Uh, it's like a real risk factor, like a really big risk factor for problem gambling later on. So people are terrified of the idea that you are essentially training a generation of problem gambling on loot boxes. Um, but nobody had ever like uh, nobody had ever studied adolescence. So all the studies that people have done, like bear in mind the loot box literature is like one and a half years old. So it's it's shocking how late academics have come to answering these questions. Uh, but nobody had looked at, at an audience of teenagers. And so we just sort of thought, well, this is one of the groups that people are most interested in. Let's find out what's going on. And we found like problem gambling, loot box spending linked again, linked uh, like sort of disturbingly, concerningly. The link was super, super strong. It was much, much stronger than the links that we found in like adult populations. We're not entirely sure why. Maybe it's because adolescents are particularly susceptible to developing problem gambling. Maybe it's something else. But in any case, the more like adolescents spend on loot boxes, the worse their problem gambling is. It might be because of this gateway. It might be instead because of like the the reverse effect, where you're already a problem gambler, 
Like you already have the slight disordered excessive relationship with gambling. And then you go home and you play like FIFA or Overwatch or whatever it is you're playing that contains like these chance-based microtransactions. And you see something that's so much like the gambling that you have this disordered relationship with uh, and you spend on it uh, for the same reasons that you you're a problem gambler. We we don't know we don't know like which way the relationship goes. Like in one case, it's just so awful. I mean, if loot boxes really are causing problem gambling, uh, like it's you talk to people who've been through problem gambling or have had their children go through problem gambling, and and these are people who it's it's just terrible. Um, and and so if they really do cause problem gambling, it's it's awful. It's so extreme. It could get so bad. It could get mm. every bit as bad as a substance use disorder. Um, and so you can see why people are concerned. But on the other hand, if it's the other way around, you've got a mechanism that is like almost differentially making money off people who already have really bad problems going on in their lives and are already really vulnerable. Um, yeah. So whichever way you spin the correlation, it ain't good news. And, and in terms of the, you mentioned the strong link I suppose it's tricky because it's if you're not a statistics expert or relatively knowledgeable right. about statistics, how is there a way of sort of, I don't know, qualifying that link or giving it some kind of um, meaning? Yeah, so so there are, there are thresholds that you place on statistics of this kind, correlations of this kind, yeah. to roughly delineate uh, ones that are of importance in a clinical setting. For instance, a relationship between some specific behavior like um, maybe domestic abuse and depression or something like that. And you say, oh, okay, there's a link that we see in society that is of this magnitude. That that's And if it's over a certain threshold, you can say, well, that looks like it might be of significance in uh, people in clinical settings, uh, in sort of, for instance, mental health hospitals. And, and all the correlations we see above those thresholds one of the big problems in video games research is like usually small correlations. You get like one variable and it's linked to another variable in a way, but you're like, ah, oh, but that only explains like 0.001% of changes in the other variable. Uh, therefore, do we really care about it? In these cases, the the correlations are appear of clinical significance. They look like the sort of things that you'd be interested in potentially if you're a clinician. Uh, if you want to contextualize them with other like similar effects they're like like the link between loot box spending and problem gambling that we see is about the same strength as links between alcohol abuse and um problem gambling or depression and problem is stronger than depression similar in magnitude maybe bigger than links between substance abuse and problem gambling it's the sort of link where when the first time i saw it like I'd come off four years of like doing violence in video games research, where I was just finding nothing. There's the just I just couldn't find any links at all. And when I did find the links, like they were tiny, tiny, tiny. Not really no evidence that those things uh, have an important relationship. And I saw this correlation. I just couldn't believe I was getting it. Um, and so we immediately went out and replicated it. So the interesting thing is they're totally pedestrian stats to see in a gambling study. You see this stuff in the gambling literature all the time. You just never see it in the video game effects stuff because largely video games effects research has been barking up the wrong tree. To be honest, I, I didn't think I would see anything like this. If you sort of look for my uh, like news profile going back in time, um, you can see my research being like talked about in the context of like, you know, video game effects are essentially oversold. There's, there's really nothing going on here. Uh, whereas mm. it's it's quite surprising to me to find myself like making these these points. Yeah. So so what you're kind of saying is you, you spent a, a part of your career 
going on about how it was strange that that it wasn't strange it just seemed that there wasn't really much to link gaming with real world effects and then you came across this study which you've done and and now there is this is something where there is a real world effect yeah it's weird it means that we always have to kind of be on edge when it comes to video game effects we never ever ever could be spun down as academics because they're always changing and you always have mm. to be like one of the big things that I, I I find pleasant about talking to you is that you're part of a gaming community, and as academics we have to be constantly I think in the future we have to have some formal mechanism for talking to gamers all the time and finding out what's going on in games and actually listening and then doing the right research. It's that kind of ivory tower thing. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of you kind of don't think of it because you know it's quite easy to put a gaming console in an ivory tower, but right. obviously academics are often accused of being in ivory towers yeah my partner's an academic so i can i can say this but it it does make it tricky to for people to kind of understand and trust the research when right i think i think they're totally right to not trust it i think for the last 30 years uh researchers have systematically failed the gaming community by not listening to them and even if you go back so me and there's this guy called Aaron Drummond who wrote the other like sort of big loot box paper about a year ago he did this really nice theoretical piece in nature uh, genital nature human behavior and mm. i was talking to him the other day and and we were both before we stumbled onto loot boxes just because we were kind of interested in it uh, we were both doing the same thing which is exactly what sort of the academic literature would have told you to do as the right thing we were both doing violent vr effects because that's what like the academics in their ivory tower were freaking out about and nobody was thinking about uh, about loot mm. boxes because nobody was talking to gamers and, and honestly it's shameful actually and and you and the responses to your sort of survey i guess on things like reddit demonstrated that there's been concern and i know i know right. for sure i mean actually there's a podcast that came before us called footstock and back then they and this is three or four years ago they were talking about um the dangers of, of three the addiction or four years of, ago ridiculous um, of of packs and loot boxes and ridiculous things like that. three or four years ago we could have listened and nobody was listening right nobody and, and, yeah and that's the thing a lot of people were talking about it in the community right. but as you say you know it hadn't been picked up by academia and obviously it hadn't been picked up by le- yeah. legislation and often that's informed by academic research i suppose so like, i think it's shocking that i'm the first person to do loot box research because i'm just some guy i don't come from a particularly well-funded lab uh i wasn't particularly prominent before any of this happened um there are big well-funded labs that are sucking down millions in government funding for doing research projects onto video game effects none of them were doing it none of them were caring mm. So I think what we actually need is is a more systemic change. Like, so I think it's nice that I'm here and I'm doing it and I think I'm kind of doing something that's not awful for the world. But you shouldn't have to rely on people like me randomly popping along, having thought about loot boxes themselves from their private life and like thought, oh, maybe that'd be an interesting thing to do. Uh, there should be something in place. We should have some sort of governmental program that like sort of asks gamers constantly what's up what are you actually concerned about and then feeds that through somewhere but i think that's changing and i think i think that's the sort of thing that that i find exciting about politicians like tom watson who actually like cares about what gamers think yeah it's it's really interesting and going beyond fifa and and even the paper i think that does from talking to you you know literally before the podcast started and now there is a a long way to go and it's great that it's it's finally getting underway i I agree hopefully the interest in the paper and 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 we'll kind of develop things beyond that i suppose let's take a quick break because i want to get into some listener questions and and discuss the paper more broadly and and, uh, there are a few interesting ones in there so nice we'll join you again in just a moment 
At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today. Because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. So in this break, it's an opportunity for me to tell you what keeps this podcast going. It's not only all our amazing listeners, but also our amazing patrons who support the pod by giving a small amount each month and getting a load of perks in return. For example, at the moment, in between these regular podcasts, we've got additional bonus podcasts just for patrons, which you can get just like your regular podcast through a unique audio feed. And on that feed, you'll get things like our new series, Foot Information, a guide to all things foot, which last week started with a pod on getting the most out of your connection with a networking expert. Next week, we continue with the returning Steve Stokes as we discuss which player types and stats are best for each position in FIFA and which ones to look out for at the beginning of a new game. So from Kinder Eggs to influencers, there's plenty more to discuss in the second half of this Foot Weekly podcast special. So welcome back. I'm still with Dr. David Zendel. How are you doing, David? Enjoy your break? I'm very well. I I love the break. Great. And the questions that we have from listeners, um, DJ FIFA player says, interested to understand where the line is between classic gambling, games of chance and gifts with random return. There is a grey area across the spectrum where poker is quite obviously gambling, but Kinder X aren't. Within this discussion, what role does financial investment or financial return play? Does it have to be cash money or... Uh, is it anything with value or worth that should be taken into account? I guess we kind of discussed this at the beginning a little bit, but his point about right. Kinder Eggs is obviously a big one. Uh, there was a lot of jokes about the surprise mechanic yeah. that they talked about and the Kinder surprise mechanic. And then actually also in a kind of fairer, I think, comparison, match attack cards we have over here. I think in the US they have sort of baseball cards, which are, are packs that you buy in a, say, a corner shop over here, you know, a convenience store and, and you'd open them up and you get different players. So... And then that's randomized. So I guess, yeah, where 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 can we draw lines? And does do we even need to draw lines? I guess uh, is the other question. Yeah. So so um, the answer is nobody has any idea, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is it's an awful answer. But nobody's really um, nobody's really cared uh, until now. There there are uh, there isn't like a literature on Yu Gi Oh cards or like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon cards because people simply have not thought to ask the questions, which might show a um, like a bias in academia towards um, stuff that psychologists who have really detailed models of the mind care about, and, and presumably they don't care about uh, magic or, mm. or, or or something like that. Um, so what we do have is we've got a very broad description of the full features of gambling, uh, which is put together by a distinguished professor of gambling called uh, Mark Griffiths, who's written this sort of list of features to distinguish gambling from other activities and in fact uh, it's sort of referenced in in the sort of big theoretical paper on loot boxes which is in nature human behavior by aaron drummond which which has a title like loot boxes are psychologically akin to gambling i think is the title it's it's mm. snappy and and there's stuff like you know do you put money in do you put something of money's worth in one end 
Do you get something of money's value out the other end? Does chance play a role in determining what you're going to get out the other end? So there's a list of like five of these features. And Griffiths basically sort of says, if you tick off all these features, then then that's psychologically akin to gambling. Uh, but nobody actually really knows what happens if you only tick off four or three. And mm. you get people being like, oh, is this like cash out loot box more gambling than a non-cash out loot box? Uh, and nobody has any idea. Where Anyone who tells you that they have a really strong idea on that, uh, I'd, I'd be interested in knowing what they base that idea on, because as far as I can tell... There's just no literature on it. So, so I guess, uh, to answer... Yeah, I guess I guess the big question that if we're going to ban loot boxes, do we have to ban match attacks cards? Maybe not Kinder Eggs. I think it's a bit far-fetched because the, the discrepancy between the toys in a Kinder Egg is not that big, whereas the discrepancy between the reward that you might get from a FIFA pack or, or from some kind of other mechanism in another game involving loot boxes, often the discrepancy in quality can be pretty huge yeah and i, I guess that's yeah, no, so I, I, I kind of answer the question maybe i get this a lot like so the kinder egg question or if you're being like more hardcore with it the, the, the pokemon card question i have brushed up against again and again and again and again over the past couple of years and when when i first started getting that question i was actually quite sympathetic to it like i get it from sort of gamey people and i'd sort of think well actually they're kind of being genuine there because like yeah, these things all do formally look the same. But uh, I now have like zero sympathy for this line. I think it's I think it's a line and I think it's a tactic now. Uh, and the reason why I've changed my mind is that whereas like two or three years ago, they look kind of similar in many ways. Now we have evidence of one like really, really important difference, which is that loot boxes or, or player packs or whatever, you want, uh, whatever it is, these, these chance-based microtransactions, I like to problem gambling. Like, like it's just an effect. We see it again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And so they're linked to problem gambling. And there's no no reason whatsoever why Kinder Eggs would be linked to problem gambling. When you're talking in politics, you will talk about what aboutery and someone putting up a, something else and saying, yeah, but what about this? When you're trying to make a point. Yeah. Um, and I think, to be honest, match tack cards and Kinder Eggs. And I, I've, I, I think in the past, I've been drawn into that as a good argument for packs being yeah not loot boxes or, or not a concern myself but right it's it's face valid it it seems it's a really compelling argument right we don't know whether match tax cards also develop would cause people to develop problem gambling right so i did i did a study on that like i was i was super so i was like sitting there and i was like so i've got other words that i say about um loot boxes so i say like I sort of say this is kind of a misdirection trick. It's like when you're looking at stage magician and he sort of says, look over here, look over here, look over here, look over here. And really he's switching the card behind his back. Uh, I think that it's a line that um, causes you to attend, uh, pay your attention to similarities and causes you to lose any focus on differences. And I think there are profound differences between like Kinder Eggs and um, like loot boxes. Uh, most prominently, uh, I think you're sort of getting it earlier in terms of like the distribution of the contents. A Kinder Egg, they're all roughly as rare as each other. Like you open a Kinder Egg, you get something. You open a Kinder Egg, you get something out. All the contents are kind of like, as far as I know, there might be some uh, like extreme Kinder Egg collectors out there. But mm. as far as I know, all the stuff you're sort of kind of equally likely to get. And, and so you could say, oh, there's a difference. There's like a statistical difference that you kind of draw our attention away from. Or you could say, and I find this one just as compelling, there's like a cultural difference. So the stuff in loot boxes 
is often worth loads to the people opening the loot boxes. So like often it feels special to get the things in the loot boxes or it lets you do something special or it lets you fit in with your friends or it lets you uh, like, you know, we asked all these adolescents like, why are you buy these loot boxes? And loads of them were like, oh, to sort of fit with my friends because like they all sort of use these skins or whatever. There's something statistical there. There might be something cultural there. Uh, but the key thing is loot boxes are linked to problem gambling. And you could also say, oh, maybe like card games are, are linked to problem gambling as well. To some extent, that doesn't matter because it wouldn't change the fact that loot boxes are linked to problem gambling. Mm. But I also did some research on card games because I was like, oh, am I talking about these differences too angrily? I was, I was getting quite cross about the, the Kindrag thing. And so I, I, we've done some research. We haven't published it yet. We need to publish it because mm. like... Uh, you're kind of just saying, oh, trust me, I've got a result. But trust me, I've got a result where we, we went out and we asked a bunch of people, exact, we did exactly the same study as the loot box study, but instead of saying how much you're spending on loot boxes, we said how much you're spending on Yu-Gi-Oh cards or Magic the Gathering cards or whatever, and then we measured the correlation and, and we just couldn't find anything. Mm. Like, just yeah, nothing there. And uh, well, I personally have a big problem with the microtransaction system, um, which is partly a problem with the publisher of games like EA, but it's also, I think, a fault of microsoft and playstation for very much making it easy for yeah i think the users interesting to make purchases endlessly and you know i mean who are, who are these people kidding like most people's parents i mean certainly my parents had no clue what they were doing with the console personally i feel that there needs to be a lot more policy developed around that as well as potentially this but yeah yeah i totally agree and i think i think the interesting thing is that that games companies uh, almost refuse to research this stuff themselves. When it comes to a lot of this stuff, we see this a lot in like the DCMS. Uh, there's like this select committee inquiry going on in the UK, where basically they had a bunch of academics come in and get grilled by politicians. And by grilling the academics, the politicians learned the right questions to ask. And now they've got a bunch of people from games. That's when that's uh, they got a bunch of people from games companies, and that's when EA said surprise mechanics. Uh, they they come in for for like the same grilling we all get. And so you've got this rare opportunity to ask games companies what they're doing and actually get a straight answer or, or a straight-ish answer. And they keep on asking, like, are you doing research into these hubs? Are you trying to find out what's going on? And they're all just like, no, we're not. Um, so I think the really frustrating thing is that the games companies who should be protecting consumers and self-regulating themselves like the best thing possible for an industry is to effectively self-regulate because then nobody's coming in and messing around with your stuff but but the games industry are playing this so like sort of crazily like they're making really wild moves they're just not self-regulating and the only thing governments are able to do now like i really think the only thing that people are going to be able to do is come in from outside and regulate the games industry and and the problem is that a lot of the people who want to come in and regulate the games industry won't necessarily understand the games industry because the games industry refuses to talk to them. So they're kind of screwing everyone over. And actually, just to interrupt, A.S. Gurkha asked the question, what are your thoughts on loot box regulation? Why do you think it has taken many years for loot boxes yeah, so to be a topic for regulation? I think you actually kind of covered that in the first part of this because you talked about right. um, how long it's taken for academics to kind of pick up on this. There is a link there, isn't there, between academics and legislation so the reason why regulation has taken so long is because it looks weird to regulators right like you're like buying a hat or something in a game like they can't it's very hard to understand why they should care about that and i think one of the real challenges with regulating loot boxes is convincing people that they that they're like important in any way that they're not just all fun and games that, that this is actually something that people take very seriously yeah, it's, it's very it is a very difficult concept for people who aren't familiar oh, with yeah. gaming to understand i think 
I think the politicians should mandatorily play the game. I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's the solution. I think you get you get 10 hours gaming for each MP. They'll all understand games, right? Yeah, like, I mean, games I are made to be understood, so they should be able to pick them exactly. up. Exactly. <laughs> I'm always like, I'm a massive fan of telling people to play games. Like, people are worried about their children playing games. Go play games with your children. Mm. Uh, I'm worried about how to understand games. Go play them. Just go play them. We've got an academic literature that for decades... Uh, we've got an academic literature on video games that for decades was run by people who didn't play games. Uh, I'm convinced they didn't play games mm. and they didn't care about games or like games. It's kind of investigating the issues that someone's dad might be interested in if they didn't play games. <laughs> like, we're quite against the idea of games. Um, so we've got like a hugely developed literature on what it means when you're playing a game and, and, and you see a character taking a pill to regain health. Got loads on that. Uh, but we've got nothing on loot boxes. Mm. Uh, because, you know, if you're watching a game over someone's shoulder, you think, what the hell is that? Uh, but of course, when you're playing a game, you have different concerns. And, and actually, talking about I don't know, the impact of seeing things, Two Left Foot asks, how much of an impact do you think the many pack-opening YouTube videos from high-profile influencers have? Um, the first thing to say is, like, like many questions when it comes to loot boxes, uh, or the collision of gaming and gambling, the only true answer is, nobody knows. Like, nobody knows. Nobody's done any research on it. So if you're doing a piece of academic research, it's a lot slower than doing something in industry. In industry, if you want to do something, you just kind of do it. In academia, if you want to do something, you first get ethical approval for it, which can take a while. So I've got ethical approval now to run a study on influencers and what relationship that might have with loot box spending and problem gambling and things. I have a theory that uh, people who play a game if they watch pack openings, might spend more money on that game. And the more money you spend, uh, the more strongly you are linked to problem gambling. So there could be something there, but it's like completely untested. Uh, now I've had this question, actually. Um, so this question is actually um, quite an important one for me because it kind of shows me... I had this ethics, but I've got ethics for like five things at the moment and, and I'm just what... I'm like a one-person lab. I don't have like postdoctoral like assistants working under me i don't have loads of phd students i can give this stuff to I, i'm just one guy um, so i kind of have to pick and choose what i'm doing next really carefully like now i know that it's something that gamers kind of think might be something that we should take seriously that's the next study i'll run yeah i mean right? that's I'll, a, that's I'll a patron it. priority question but we had that via email from someone else we had that over twitter as well so that's just one of quite a few questions about that specific issue this is exactly why academics need to listen to gamers i think we need some sort of formal like mechanism for getting stuff from the community and, and drawing it to our attention because i think the key thing is like so loot boxes is what's going wrong right now right and everyone's like sort of panicking about loot boxes because we're all terrified and really worried about them but like what does the video games landscape look like in 2021 2022 mm. what's the issue that we're all really worried about then because i guarantee it won't be loot boxes it'll be something new and i don't want a situation in which we're caught like doing things like we've been so slow off the mark with loot boxes we're only doing it now mm. the academic community needs to do better with the next thing and actually you mentioned about getting ahead and the first to act on this really in europe i think of is belgium i, I believe yeah Belgium and the Netherlands. Belgium and Netherlands, yeah. I think it's, I can't remember now off the top of my head, but there's a slight difference in Netherlands and Belgium. Yeah. Um, FIFA anyway, you can buy FIFA points in Netherlands, but not in Belgium, because in Netherlands, I think the definition of gambling 
in the Netherlands yeah. requires you to be able to extract money, like real money, out of the yeah, yeah. out of that pack. So, so something like I think CS:GO, so, you can sell the stuff, right? So therefore, that is probably banned. Does that sound right? Am I? I no, I always get mixed up which one's Belgium and which one's the Netherlands, which is an awful thing to get mixed up over. One of them has legislation that says this is gambling if you put money in and something random happens. And the other one says it's gambling if you can get something of value out the other end. Hmm. I think the thing that it highlights in both cases and in our case where loot boxes aren't gambling is that gambling is just a word and it's a word that varies from territory to territory. So you want to you want to cordon off. This kind of relates back to a question we had earlier. You want to cordon off a bunch of activities that you think are probably harmful to people, and sort of say these sit in a special box. They're restricted in some way. They're regulated in some way. Mm. Um, so you come up with a definition that seems pretty good to sort of separate out the slot machines and the um, sort of poker games and the casinos from the Kinder eggs. And that's what we did in 2005. We had a bunch of laws to do with gambling, and it says we're going to formally define gambling this way because it'll catch all the stuff that we think isn't so great, and it'll leave out all the stuff that at this point in 2005 we're not so concerned about. Um, and, and the Belgians presumably did that at some point in their history, and the people in the Netherlands did the same thing, and the people in France did the same thing, yada, yada, yada. But it doesn't speak to any truth about the world. It's just what was sensible in 2005. Mm. So when a games company comes out and says, well, actually, we agree with 30 regulatory authorities from around the world that loot boxes are not gambling, that's meaningless. You're just saying, like, those 30 countries have laws. Like, you're not saying anything. Yeah, I think there's a really important distinction here. And there's actually something that I've been a little bit frustrated with for a while around the fact that people are so fixated on the idea of gambling and whether loot boxes are gambling. Yeah. When I don't think that's actually the problem here. You know, you need to look at no. society and go, do we have a serious problem with this? Do we yeah. need to implement more legislation to help solve that problem? And it doesn't right. matter whether it's gambling or whether it's, I don't know, you know, say, for example, at the advent of gaming, people realized that violence in games was actually causing people to be extremely violent, yeah. which wasn't the case. Yeah. That wouldn't necessarily fit into any particular category. You couldn't have said, oh, that's... Right, exactly. Well, that's this. But that doesn't mean that you don't regulate it. Yeah, that doesn't mean you, you regulate it because it's harmful. Exactly. So when I say, like, oh, the literature really came about in a year, a year and a half, that's not true. There were plenty of theoretical papers before that to do with law. There were loads of people saying, ah, legally, gambling looks like this in this country and this in this country. And interestingly, loot boxes fit under this definition, but not this subset of it. So there was loads of that stuff. And I think we, I think you're totally right. I think we need to to um, stop being so hung up on the word gambling and start saying, who cares if it fits this technical... Well, actually, there are reasons to care, but 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 primarily, uh, on one very important level, who cares if it fits this definition? Let's talk about whether it's harmful. And, and let's commission the research and do the research that finds out whether it's harmful. Yeah, and a lot of what you said today has been incredibly persuasive on this front. And, you know, I'm not a statistics expert, so I'm not here to challenge that part of your work but with the direction this is heading we could see a lot of companies having to change their games significantly this is actually something we'll probably discuss in the next podcast we do with you looking beyond loot boxes and things like that but if regulators do regulate if you like what could we see happening what have we already seen happen because of the mounting pressure i guess it's almost as if the games industry is trying to guarantee that that people's favourite games get killed by a regulator that knows nothing about them. Their, their lack of 
ability to respond, their failure to engage in dialogue, their clear bad faith arguments about things like surprise mechanics have, have almost been inviting uh, people to smash games. Uh, but I think if we work hard, and crucially, if industry at some bloody point talks to people, we could like avoid that happening. There are so many things you could do that don't end up with games getting smashed, right? If industry lets us have access to their data, for instance, we'd be able to very quickly work out how likely it is that uh, like loot box spending really is causing problem gambling, or if it's the other way around, if it's just problem gamblers spending more money on loot boxes. And if it's problem gamblers spending more money on loot boxes, there's like a bunch of things you can do to mitigate that. Like you could say, oh, we're just going to put in like a mandatory cap. People can't spend more than 100 quid a week on packs. And and some people lose out on the play. You know, there are people out there who could afford to spend thousands of pounds a week on packs. There's the type of gambling machine called, uh, called a FOBT in the UK, and they're in betting shops. They had these sort of massive stakes on them. You know, you could put loads and loads of money in. And there was a perception in the gambling industry that at some point the FOBTs were going to get regulated. But the industry just didn't talk to regulators at all. They just sort of, they just didn't engage. And there was this feeling that the industry was just trying to get as much money out of the FOBTs as possible before they got shut down. They would just say, one more month, one more month, one more month. The way the games industry is dealing with this doesn't look any different. I don't know why they're not talking to people. Because imagine if two years ago, uh, EA say, oh, actually, people have raised concerns about problem gambling and loot boxes, and we're going to be incredibly responsible, and we're just going to put limit capping on it. Like, many, if not most of the arguments that I've made today uh, might have just melted away. But they, they didn't do that. I, I, I don't understand why. I, I just don't understand. Have they taken really bad advice? Well, like what's going it is on? pretty interesting. And I do wonder, though, knowing how much people spend on FIFA points, whether the idea of a cap would just so severely restrict their income that they've avoided it for some time. But, you know, it's hard to say, as you say, without the stats from EA about what's going on and about people's uh, spending patterns and things like that. And I suppose uh, that would be the next stage to get that data. And, and, and I know you have plenty of other um, studies planned. But it's really interesting to talk today and we're definitely going to want to connect with you again later in the summer. Uh, I know you've got a lot on over this uh, next few months, um, things going on around this um, and we want to keep on top of that. And I'm sure our listeners have plenty of opinions themselves and views that they'd want to share and we'll get to chatting about those on that next podcast. And if you want to get in touch, just email the pod on footweekly at mail.com or you can tweet at footweeklypod or you can tweet me at footweeklyben. And David, of course, if people want to keep up with your progress, they can do that at David Zendel, I believe. That's uh, correct, right? Yep, that's right. And again, a huge thanks for coming on and uh, for a very interesting discussion. Oh, you're welcome. It was really nice. Uh, it was very pleasant. And so finally, listeners, thank you very much for joining us. If you'd like to hear last week's podcast, the first in our Foot Information series, where we talked about getting the most out of your connection, or perhaps you'd like to hear next week's podcast, which I mentioned during the break, And you can get all that by signing up to the $6 patron tier, which you can find just by searching Foot Weekly Patron. Or if you're an existing patron, you can update your pledge by going to Edit Pledge. And all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for joining us, and thank you very much to Foothead, our patrons, and Icon patrons. Alistair, Alan M, Anthony R, Chris G, Chris W, Dan W, Darren W, Dom, Gabe N, Hunter B, Johan B, Mark A, Martin M, Matt H, Matt L, Paul, Rob P, Roger DC, Sam M, 
Savage P, Sean M and Tyler M. Catch you all next time. At Lowe's, we know you can get the job done faster if you don't have to stop and come into the store all the time. That's why we've updated our app with your business in mind. With the app, you can build quotes, easily reorder your supplies, track orders, and much more. So you can get everything you need right away, stay on the job, finish it, and get started on the next one. Download the app today, because Lowe's knows time is money. Lowe's knows pros. Sports Social Podcast Network.